And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answering him said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? When they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for time together in your word tonight with the church. We thank you for this wonderful passage of scriptures. We find your disciples in distress in the storm, but you cause the storm to cease and comfort them. Now, Father, as we think upon this in regards to our own lives, we ask for your blessing and your help. Guide our thoughts, feed us from your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a phrase here in... Verse number 27, be of good cheer. This is a very powerful phrase. It's more than a hello. And often it would have been used as a hello. You know, shalom or be of good cheer or something along these lines. We say hi, hello, how are you, howdy, these kinds of things. But but there's more here than just a blessing. To say to someone be of good cheer is a blessing with a certain authority. It's a full command. It's also a promise. To say be of good cheer literally means to take heart, take courage, to take cheer. It is for the receiver to deliberately eject the emotions of gloom and doom and to choose instead to let joy and strength of Jesus shine through in their lives. So to be of good cheer means to cheer up. So I want to speak to you about that tonight from this passage. And may we leave encouraged to cheer up, to be of good cheer. There are four headings here that I think together can help us to be more cheerful people. We begin in verse 22 with a multitude. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. And to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Someone has said there's got to be purpose and meaning in our lives if we're going to have good cheer. I think that's certainly the case. Well, purpose for Jesus was ministering to these multitudes. All throughout Matthew we find the word multitude being mentioned and we find Jesus Working with the multitudes. Do the exercise with me. Flip, hold your spot. Flip back to Matthew chapter 25, or chapter 4, verse 25, and we'll quickly go up 
into our text tonight and just see all of the references that we find to the multitude that Jesus ministers to. Matthew 4.25 reads, And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. Now continue into chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Now flip forward a couple pages to chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Chapter 8, verse 18. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. Then chapter 9, verse 8. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. Chapter 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Now flip ahead to chapter 12, just a couple pages there. Chapter 12, verse 15, But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, The same day went Jesus out of the house, and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So these multitudes that we find, and you can go back to chapter 14, these multitudes represented the people whose lives Christ intended to change. They were his earthly purpose. They were his people. They were what he got up and did on a daily basis. To be of good cheer or to maintain joy and fulfillment in life, there's also a multitude for you to be reaching. Now, for some of us, that might involve a very large ministry. You may be gifted in such a way that God puts a great number of people in your path, and that is literally your multitude. But for many, this might mean a small ministry, which, though small and even unknown by the multitude could have great and large results eternally. There may be just that one person. Or there may be three people. And this may be your multitude. No matter how the number, there is this ministry that you have that brings purpose and fulfillment to life. And certainly this was the case for Jesus. I think my point is to you tonight is that it's not enough just to earn a paycheck, to enjoy a vacation to buy a new car, to keep a hobby, and to go out and eat. These are things we all love to do. But in reality, if you live and die, and these are the things that you've purposed yourself to do, I think you'll die a pretty miserable death. But when you have your multitude, you will find yourself living to make a difference, and you will have purpose. There you can be of good cheer. God plans for each of our lives to have this type of significance. That word did not want to come out. (laughs) The second heading we find here in the text tonight is solitude. So there was a multitude for Jesus, but then we find solitude for Jesus. 
At the end of verse number 22, we read that he sent the multitudes away. And then in verse number 23, it says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Now, we are to be living a life of significance, reaching our multitude, but we must have a balance in life. We need frequent breaks from the multitude, time alone with ourselves, time alone with God. I want you to notice how Jesus safeguarded his time alone. Flip back to chapter number 13. should be just about a page back in your Bibles. And look at verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. So here we find in chapter 13, Jesus sending the multitude away. Go over into chapter 14, not yet into our text. Verse 13 says, When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. So he went by ship to a desert place apart. Kind of, kind of went to be alone. And of course, the people followed him there. Verse 22 was, is our text. It says he sent the multitudes away. So in each of these instances, though his ministry is to the multitudes, he himself, God in the flesh, still required solitude. I will often say to you, on Jesus' prayer in the garden, if Jesus had to pray before doing this ministering, certainly we have to pray before we do the things that we do. And we, we know that to be the case. But why is it that we think that even though Jesus required solitude, that you and I don't require that solitude? Now, I know some of us are gifted differently. I'm an introvert, severely introverted. You wouldn't believe that because I get up in front of you and I talk. But if you were to meet me and I wasn't a preacher, you would say, that guy is shy and keeps to himself. And certainly I do. And then some of you are extroverted. Many of you are like me. You're, you're an introvert. Some of you are extroverted. You're around people a lot and kind of that energizes you and sort of dulls you down to be by yourself. So we're all gifted in different ways. But these are two sure things in the Christian life. There's a purpose. There's a multitude for us to minister to. Now, take the application there and don't understand that as me saying there's got to be a lot of people. When I say multitude, I'm just using the word from the text. But at the same time, there has to be some solitude in your life to ready you for the ministering that you should be doing to your multitude. It's important to get alone at times. It's important to get away from the multitude. It's important to have solitude for times of prayer. And it's important to have these times where you experience a faith trying that you couldn't otherwise. Now we're going to read more about that in the text. And it brings us to our third heading tonight, which I've called Fortitude. Verse 24, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. So first, in 22, we find Jesus putting his disciples in a ship. Then he sends the multitude away. In verse 23, he goes by himself alone to the mountain to pray, but his disciples are still down in the sea on this ship. So in verse 24, we find that this ship in the sea without Jesus is tossed 
with the winds of the sea. They're in a storm. So Jesus is on the hillside in solitude, communing, but the disciples are in the storm on the sea in a crisis. Now, we understand the story and we we know the Bible, so we realize that this was for Jesus to increase their faith. He's on the mountain praying for them while they're down in the sea struggling. And at the right time, he comes to them walking on the water. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But Jesus straightway spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. I would submit to you tonight that nothing says everything's going to be all right, quite like your rescuer coming to you in the middle of a storm, and walking upon the water that is rocked from that storm. That'll put your heart at peace, would it not? I mean, I'm, I'm afraid of the water. I don't ever intend to take a cruise. My wife wants to take a cruise someday. You'll have to go with her because I plan to stay home. I might go down to the, the harbor and eat on the boat for a day or two till it leaves. And I might wait around till you get back and meet you there. But this idea of being miles away at sea makes me sick thinking about it right now. I was not built for this. I swim like a rock. I am not, I don't know what the word is, aerodynamic in the air. What would that make you in the water? I am no fish. What? Yes, that's exactly me. If it goes over. If you guys were all filling a lifeboat tonight and you said, well, we've got to get somebody out of here. We've got too much weight. I'm first to go. I'm tallest and largest. Out chance goes. So for me, I'm staying, I'm staying back. But should I be out on this cruise, and should there be a storm, and I begin to worry, are we going to make it through this storm? Boy, there's one thing that will put your mind at ease, is if you see the rescuer coming, and this rescuer, now what would our rescue come in? Helicopter, another boat. These things can all fail. I watch the movies about the Coast Guard, and they go out to these guys in the sea, and the, the helicopter's up there wobbling around, and they're... Why would you get out of the ocean into a helicopter that a wave could knock over? Never understood this, but evidently it works. But that doesn't put my mind at ease until I'm back on the the shore. But man, when you're in the middle of a storm and here comes Jesus and he's walking on the water that is rocking your boat, that will put your mind at ease. That will help you be of good cheer. That will say to you, everything's going to be all right. Now, I want you to get in your mind where we are here in this night. In the Roman times, the night was divided into various watches. The fourth watch is where we are here in verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. The fourth watch comprised the hours between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. Jesus allowed his disciples to struggle for a while in darkness and in distress during this time. He doesn't solve their problem instantly. I think this is a key for us to understand. The Lord sometimes lingers and delays and watches. He sometimes watches from a distance. He's on the mountain there in the sea. Well, he's there praying for them. Though he may linger, 
though from our timing it may seem like he delays. It's a comfort to know that there on the mountain he's praying for us, though we are in the midst of the storm, though we're struggling on the sea below. This teaches us that God is more interested in developing our faith than he is in relieving our distress. Can you take heart in that tonight? God is more interested in developing your faith than he is in relieving your distress. Hold your place and turn to James chapter 1. I love these verses and I don't think it hurts us to be reminded of these verses. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, if you didn't know where he was going here, you could say, Brother James, we think you're insane. Because it's not joyful to be in various trials in life. But based off what we're finding in Matthew 14, we know that James is right on. Because when I'm in a storm, in the will of God, doing what Jesus has told me to do, everything's going to be all right. He can walk on water. He can say to the storm, peace be still. And until he does, there's a purpose for my trying. This is what James says. Count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, Driven with the wind and tossed, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now understand what James means here using this story in Matthew 14 as your illustration. A double-minded person on that boat would say, Jesus told us to get on this boat and here we go. But he must have wanted us to die because we're in the midst of a storm. Is that what Jesus wanted from his disciples? Well, certainly not. But they were being double-minded. They were wavering. They were being wishy-washy in their faith. James says, when you're like that, don't expect to receive anything from the Lord. But when you enter various trials, count it joy because you know that the trying of your faith will work patience. And patience, when it's complete, will leave you perfect and entire Wanting nothing. What a blessing that is. What a comfort it is to know that though we faced storms in life, that God is more interesting in developing our faith than getting us out of that storm. Often we, we just want out of the storm. We just want out of the trial. We just want the sun to shine through the clouds. We want this to be over. But the Bible tells us on 34 different occasions to be strong. This is what we must be. We are not strong in our own strength, but we can be strong in His strength. We can be strong in His promises. We can be strong in grace. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, He it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Do you take Jesus with you every day? He will go with you. You can be strong and of a good courage knowing he's with you. 
Do you take Jesus with you on your trips? We get in the car. Before we leave, we say, all right. Depending on what the kids are doing, I have to say different things. You know, turn off your devices or turn off the TV or whatever. When I was a kid, Dad said, that, you know, put away your crossword puzzle. We didn't have devices and TVs in the cars. Believe it or not, children. So we're going to pray. And the prayer is typically the same. I don't think that the prayer is some magic potion. But I think it's a good acknowledgement that, Lord, we're yours. And like we talked about in class this morning, this is your car. We're going on this trip, but we'd love for you to come along with us. I think God likes to go to the mountains and the beach just like the rest of us. And off we go, me and my family and Jesus. And along we go. He will not fail thee. He will not forsake thee. He goes with you. So be strong. Joshua 1.9, have not I commanded thee. Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. 2 Chronicles 15.7 Be strong therefore. Let not your hands be weak. For your work shall be rewarded. 1 Corinthians 16.13 Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. Ephesians 6.10 Finally my brethren. Be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. 2 Timothy 2.1 Therefore my son be strong in the grace. That is in Christ Jesus. And on and on and on it goes in scripture 34 times directly. Now indirectly often God is telling us to be strong. Maybe just not with that phrase. But at least 34 times in the scriptures we find him saying to us be strong. Jesus came to them walking on the water. And as he approached the boat he spoke above the storm. These words that have echoed throughout the ages of time down to you and me. Verse number 27. Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. Mm. Can you imagine being there in that boat that night? Can you imagine you're rolling around and the thunder is clapping and the lightning is flashing and the rain is coming down and the waves are rocking you and you're right there on the middle of the boat and there's Thomas. But you know Thomas was the first to doubt. He had, had to have been the first, no offense, Thomas. He had to be the first to say, we're all going to die. And you're old James, you know, probably James. He's the intellect in the crowd. And he probably said, well, based off my studies of these storms in the past. And then you had John. John liked to cry. He wasn't talking very much. He was just over there. <laughs> what are we going to do? And, of course, there's Peter. <laughs> I think I'll try to walk on the water. Peter, we're in a vessel in a storm. Jesus can walk on water, but you can't. Your name is Rock. You'll sink. What a unique thing that is. Isn't the church very much like this? A little thing happens and some folks say the sky is falling. And some folks say, no it ain't, but Jesus is coming back. And some folks say, no he's not, they've been saying that all my life. And we're all different on a lot of these different things. But what a wonderful comfort it is, no matter where you find yourself in a storm, to hear the master say, here I am. Don't be afraid. Be of good cheer. Whatever your storm, whatever your struggle, you have access through his grace to those same short three simple sentences. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. We can cheer up when our lives 
have purpose reaching the multitudes. We can cheer up when we remove ourselves from this for a time in solitude. We can also cheer up when we realize that this work takes fortitude. And let's not leave out Peter. Matthew does give a good portion of this text to him. Verse 28, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? I think this is, this is for sure typical Peter behavior. But I think this is typical human behavior. One minute, scared to death. I mean, nearly literally, we're going to die. This ship is going to sink or whatever. But then the very next moment, excited enough to try and walk on the water like Jesus did. Now, we can compliment Peter on his great faith and getting out of the boat. But I think if we take this passage in that way, we're bringing glory to Peter and not to God. He was surely excited enough to do something drastic. But good for Peter and good for us did come of this. Spurgeon remarks, Peter was nearer his Lord when he was sinking than when he was walking. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Peter had never been as trusting in God to where his head was going under the, the water of that ocean. There are times we will attempt things maybe we shouldn't. And really, who knows if we should or if we shouldn't. Theologians debate, should Peter have got, had done this? doesn't seem to be the case for what Jesus is doing here, and the passage could have gone on without this. But nevertheless, the record is he did. You and I will make similar decisions in his life, in our lives. We may walk on the water, and we might just sink at times. But either way, we note here, importantly, our Lord can walk on the water. The final heading we find in this text is gratitude. This is how the story ends. Verse 32, And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Just like we would expect him to, Jesus brings Peter into the boat and the wind ceases. And the disciples begin to worship Jesus for this miracle. Now they bring no attention to, to Peter, and in fact, if you, if you notice this, they don't actually bring much attention to the miracle as they do Jesus. They don't begin to worship and say, you saved us. They don't begin to worship and say, we were going to die. Thank you. No, what do they say? Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. They begin to worship Jesus as Messiah. They begin to worship Jesus as the very Son of God. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary here, says this is true worship. Acknowledging who God is and praising Him both for who He is and for what He has done. In this case, the disciples took the first step and worshiped Jesus as God's Son. They focused on Jesus entirely in their worship. Peter had experienced a great deliverance. But they didn't ask Peter to give his testimony. 
The wind had died down, but they didn't hold a discussion about miracles. They worshipped Jesus, and they worshipped only him because they were entirely taken up with him. That's helpful information. This story ends with gratitude. Thanksgiving, praise, worship, all. They in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now I want you to notice something else. I want you to picture in your mind where we are here in verse number 33. It's around 4 a.m. So I want you to see them as things are. They're in the boat. Jesus is with them. The winds are calm. The sky is calm. The water is calm. And they're worshiping. But now I want you to think back to where they were at their moment of desperation in verse 24. The ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And let's just make this 3 a.m. And now put those two pictures side by side in your mind, and I think this will be very helpful to you in your own situations in life. 3 a.m. is exhaustion. 4 a.m. is exaltation. 3 a.m. is anguish and worry, but 4 a.m. is awe and worship. What was the difference? The sun came up. And that's exactly what will happen in your life. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. The secret of great faith is knowing at 3 a.m. that 4 a.m. is coming and for you to react accordingly at 3 a.m. This is replacing worry with worship. And doing this by faith, learning to trust him until your storm passes by. Being of good cheer takes gratitude. So we find multitude. Your purpose in life. This thing that God has for you to do. It's the only thing that will really fulfill you in life. But that still requires some solitude and some fortitude and some gratitude. Are you distressed today? Jesus is speaking to us from this passage and saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. But how can we do this? I want to end with five things from our text to show you exactly how you can do this. Number one, you need to remember he brought me here. Verse 22, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. Peter and the other disciples were there in a boat during a storm because Jesus brought them to this place. This storm came because they were in the perfect will of God and not out of the will of God. These disciples then were safer in the will of God in the middle of this storm than out of the will of God on the seashore. They were safer in the storm in God's will than on the land with the crowds out of God's will. We must never judge our security on the basis of circumstances alone. When you face the storms of life, you must know, He brought me here. Never be mistaken by the idea that obedience to God's will produces nothing but smooth sailing in life because it's simply not true. Jesus said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. John 16, But what did he say there? Be of good cheer. 
I have overcome the world. Same as he says here, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. When you're in the storm because you've obeyed the Lord, you simply need to remember he brought you here. And he who brought you here can walk on water. Secondly, remember he's praying for me. What was he doing up on that mountain? When he had sent the multitudes away, verse 23, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Now, if Jesus, or if the disciples knew that Jesus was up on this mountain praying, and likely praying for them because he sent them into this trial of their faith, I think this story could have gone differently. Christian Jesus is in heaven interceding for you. Romans 8, 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. I can intercede for you. Brother Scotty can intercede for you. Anyone in this room can intercede for you. And that's all well and good. But when you're in the midst of a storm, there's no greater comfort than thinking about this very thing. Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for me. What does your flesh usually do to you, though, when you're in the midst of a storm? It says, Lord, do you remember me? Do you know who I am? You've forgotten about me, haven't you, Lord? No, he hasn't forgotten about you. He knows where you are. He knows your needs. He sees your needs. He knows your fears. And he is in control of the situation because he brought you here. And in that he brought you here, you can trust that he is praying for you. Number three, he will come to me. How can I be of good cheer even though there are storms in life? Number one, remember he brought me here. Number two, he's praying for me. Number three, he will come to me. Often we begin to feel that Jesus has deserted us. We're going through hard times of life and we feel like we're all alone. In the Psalms, David complained that God seemed far away and that he wasn't there to help him. Even Paul got into a situation so difficult that he felt, and he says this in 2 Corinthians 1.8, pressed out of measure, above strength, Insomuch that we despaired even of life. What is Paul admitting there? I just assumed die. Never forget. Jesus will come to you. Your storm's going to make it seem like he can't. That's when you've got to remind yourself he walks on water. There's nothing that can prevent him from coming to me and he will come to me. Now, he may not get me out of this storm, but he'll come to me in the midst of this storm. Remember, he's more concerned with us learning and growing in our faith through the storm than taking us out of the storm. But he's not going to leave us helpless. He will come to us in this storm. He may not come when you think he should come because he knows when we need him the most. It's, it's unique that the wording here is in verse 24. That the ship was in the midst of the sea. As if Jesus waited until the ship was as far away from land as possible. What does that do to human hope? And if, if this storm had hit us halfway out, well, I might could have swim back. But we're as far as we can get. We're all the way in the middle of this sea. All human hope was gone. He was testing the disciples' faith, and this meant removing every human prop. And then he walked on the water to show his disciples 
that the very sea they feared was just a staircase for him to come to them. You go through things in life that bring you fear. Loss of health, loss of life, loss of income. They seem like hindrances to Christ. But just like that stormy water, they're simply staircases for him to be able to get to you. In the storm, be assured, he will come to me even if it means him walking on water to get to where I am. Then number four, you can be of good cheer knowing that he will help me grow. The whole purpose of this episode was to help the disciples grow in their faith. Jesus would one day leave them. They would face many other storms. They had to learn to trust him even though he was not present with them. And even though it looked as though he did not care, the the storms of life, they're not easy. But the storms of life are necessary. He brought me here. He's praying for me. He will come to me. He will help me grow. And then finally, he will see me through. You can be of good cheer knowing that Jesus will see you through. If Jesus says come, then that word is going to accomplish its intended purpose. As the author and the finisher of our faith, whatever he authors, he finishes. Whatever he begins, he completes. He who begun this good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We may fail. But in the end, God is going to succeed. Jesus and Peter walked together to the ship. I would say in that trial of faith, Peter failed miserably. Lord, if it be you, let me come on to you. And Jesus said, come on. If we leave that only in human terms, we would say, well, he he failed. That's the end of it. But it wasn't the end of it. Jesus didn't leave him there. He didn't abandon him. He picked him up out of the water, took him back to the boat. God's word will never fail. If he says, come, this will be the end of it. I'm going to end with just a small poem. It's by Robert Morgan. He writes, exhausted and frightened, they battled the rain, the wind, the waves, enduring the strain, till finally their nerves could stand it no more. And their strength was all gone, and their muscles were sore. But up on the mountain, Jesus could see every white-capping wave on the rough Galilee. And treading the billows like a carpet of sod, he came to their aid with the power of God. They worshipped him then with rejoicing and awe for the marvels he did and the wonders they saw. But better to praise him with the storm at its worst by remembering his power and his promises first. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, you are very good to us. We often encounter storms in our own lives, surely not of this magnitude, but they're storms nevertheless. And all we can see is, Lord, get us out of this. We thank you that your word teaches us tonight that even in these times we can be of good cheer, that we do not have to be afraid. Because it's you. So Lord, help us to remember these things and to live our lives of good cheer. Help us to be fulfilling our purposes. Help us to be ministering to ourselves so that we can minister to others. And help us to grit our teeth in the midst of these storms and take faith and courage knowing that you're there 
and you're interceding for us. Thank you for these comforts from your word. Now bless us as we go. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.